Good to be with you, IPC. It's time for part two of this week's good word from our good father. Um, And we're in the fourth commandment, the fourth good word, which is about keeping the Sabbath. Let me invite you to read together before we meditate uh, Exodus chapter 20 and especially verses 8 through 11 about remembering the Sabbath day. And once you've done that, then we can get started. So Peter Lightheart, uh, in his great book on the Ten Commandments, makes a really cool, nerdy, cool observation. He says, notice how commandment number four, Sabbath commandment, and commandment number five, honor your father and mother. Notice how these are the two positively stated words of the ten words, right? The other eight are thou shalt not, and these are thou shalt right? Or you shall do this. And it turns out that the fourth and fifth good words of the Ten Commandments are also the place where one through four commandments about loving God meet up with five through ten commandments about loving our neighbor. So this is the hinge of the Ten Commandments, and they're both positively stated. After all, Jesus said uh, the law is essentially love God and love your neighbor. And so Lightheart asks, he says, What's left when you've eliminated the negative things of commandments 1, 2, and 3, and commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10? What's left? Well, he says, what's left is this positive vision of the good life, a life in which, fourth commandment, we work hard, rest well, and we foster the work and rest of other people. And commandment 5 The relationships between generations, between people that have expertise and authority and the people who submit to their wisdom, those relationships are harmonious and fruitful. Isn't that a great vision? This is what the world was made for. Good hard work among people that we respect and to whom we submit. Good rest and the energy and joy that come from collaborating with diverse people with diverse gifts. When God envisions this kind of a world, he gets to work and he gets to rest. And we see that in the very first page of the Bible. And so before we look at what the fourth commandment wants us to put on, let's call it our to-do list. In part one, we talked about our not-to-do list. Before we look at what the fourth commandment says to put on our to-do list, let's look at God's own creative work and rest. And let's see what God has on God's to-do list. Then we'll draw up our to-do list from the fourth commandment. And then finally, we'll look at Jesus and his to-do list. And we'll see how he checks off every item. And like I said, if you want to see what's all on the not-to-do lists, you need to engage with part one of our, our series or our sermon from the morning service. Okay, so what's on the Lord's to-do list? We're looking at the very beginning of the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 to start with. Well, in the ancient world, it was only wealthy people, people that had slaves and servants, people to do the hard work necessary to keep everyone alive, right? It's only those wealthy people who could afford to have leisure time. Fast forward then to the Roman Empire, and not much had changed. 
Guess who the leisure class was? Well, it was the wealthy class, the ruling class. They were the ones who could be philosophers because they had the time and the leisure to reflect on the meaning of life. And what gave them that luxury? Well, they had slaves and servants to do the hard work, and they had money so they could buy time for leisure. Fast forward to today, I'm not sure that that much has changed, really. Leisure time has simply expanded, right, to include more and more of the population, at least in wealthy parts of the world. But now, guess what the gods of the ancient world were like? What do you think the gods of the ancient world were like? Well, they were kind of like wealthy, leisurely consumer types. In the myths of the ancient world, the gods actually made human beings so that they would have someone to serve them while they sat around and enjoyed their leisure. That's what gods did. But the God that we meet in Scripture is so much different than that. The true God and Father of our Lord Jesus, especially Peter Lightheart notes, is a craftsman and a manual labor, laborer. The true Father God puts in an honest day's work each of the six days of creation. Sweat and thought together and they result in creative beauty that is our world. God works creatively. Our Father is a craftsman. And so first on God's to-do list, it's clear from Genesis 1, is to work creatively. And notice the next thing on God's to-do list. As you read each of these days of creation, you notice something. After each work of craftsmanship, what does God do? Well, the Lord takes a fire obbin, right? And he looks back on his work and he has joy and satisfaction in it. Genesis 1, like we said in the first part, is a poem. And the poem is actually structured by God's reflection on his work and the satisfaction he feels in it. And each stanza of this poem comes to a close when God stops, sees what he's done, and realizes that it's actually really good. See, the Lord in Genesis 1 doesn't work from paycheck to paycheck, from contract to contract, from raise to raise, from vacation to vacation, but the Lord works from satisfaction to satisfaction. And you can almost hear, because we believe creation was a Trinitarian endeavor, you can almost hear the three persons of the Trinity wrapping up a day's work, like like people on a construction crew, right? Giving each other a high five or a slap on the back and toasting to their accomplishment. And then when the work is, is finally done on the sixth day, there's more than just satisfaction and celebration. When they make humans, female and male, in their own image, it's like they switch from a fire robin beer to champagne. <laughs> they toast because when they made us, it was very good. It was very good. In the ancient myths, the creation of the world itself is usually an act of evil by some malevolent god. And the creation, therefore, the physical stuff, is bad. And especially human bodies are bad. But not so. Our God delights in everything that he makes, and especially humans, in both their spirituality and their physicality is declared very good. And on his to-do list, in addition to creating, is taking satisfaction in his work.
And that leads us to the third thing that's on God's to-do list as he creates. Part of the very goodness of the work of creating humans is that these creatures who don't just multiply, but who become craftsmen and craftswomen themselves, God apprentices people into his own creativity. So God has fostering possibility on his to-do list. Instead of doing everything himself, God delights in the still to be done, in the ongoing work of creativity, in all of the possibility that he builds into creation itself. The father loves to have children who therefore enter into the family business and who make it grow and flourish in creative ways. Friends, there's no God in the ancient world and no God in today's world who works side by side with humans, collaborating to unlock the possibilities that are latent in creation itself. Our God and Father does. He works creatively. He takes satisfaction in that work. And part of that work itself is to foster possibility for creation and especially for humans made in God's image. So the fourth commandment puts three simple things on our to-do list, right? Uh, Work hard, rest well, and foster work and rest. We move now from God's to-do list to ours. Work hard, rest well, and foster work and rest. Exodus 20, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So if you've got a boss or if you have had a boss that you admire, somebody that's mentored you, who respects you and challenges you, who makes you feel alive and human when you're working with and for them, what do you do? Well, you work hard for them, right? There's a sense in which more money will not make an employee work hard and especially won't make them work from the heart. But if you're being challenged by your boss and it's safe for you to take risks and to grow alongside of your supervisor, you're going to work your tail off for them. Well, God works and we work under God's smile, under the banner of his salvation and his uh, redemption from slavery to sin. And so we work in and from the, and for the freedom That's all given to us by God in Christ Jesus. And so under these working conditions, if I'm truly aware of them, Jesus is going to get my best energy and creativity. And Jesus ultimately is Lord of your work, even if you've got a really awful boss. So what's on the to-do list? Work hard for your good boss who sets you free. Work hard with and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, next on the to-do list is rest well. On the seventh day, you shall do no work. Psalm 127, in vain, with no purpose, in other words, you rise up early, you stay up late toiling. Why is that vanity? Because he, your loving father, gives rest to the ones that he loves. And so we rest each evening and we rest one day in seven. Pastor Zach S. Wine, uh, he says this, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, rest, rest. 
work, rest, work, rest. He says, see, do you hear the rhythm of Genesis 1? That's what you and I were created for, to surrender to that God-given rhythm is what you need to succeed the way that God defines success. In graduate school and seminary, I was overwhelmed intellectually and in many other ways by very difficult reading assignments and research papers. Sunday, however, was my favorite day of the week, hands down. I got up, I went to church, I worshiped, I came home, I kicked my shoes off, I read anything that I wanted to. I fell asleep on the sofa. I woke up, I went back to evening service. I ate dinner with church folks. Those four years, I did some of the hardest work of my life. But I also enjoyed some of the best rest and worship and fellowship of my life. And better yet, even on my difficult work and on my rest, I felt the smile of God on me. And then the last thing on our to-do list, notice what it says at the end of verse 10. It's not just you who gets rest. It's your sons and daughters. It's your servants. It's your animals. It's foreign laborers. And it's the land itself. Now remember, Israel was adopted as the son of God. The family business of God is going to Israel's hands and God wants to show the nations and the whole creation what the father is like, how good the good father is. And that means that the donkeys and the oxen and the foreigners and the fields, they are going to experience God's goodness because God's people work hard, rest well, and foster rest for all creatures. Foster rest. And actually, we foster work, too. God's people don't harvest all the way to the ends of the fields. They don't pick up every grape that falls from the vines. Why? Because by refraining from doing everything we could, we're leaving those things. We're fostering work for people who have less power. And God has done the same for us, after all. He provides us work and substance in his field, in his vineyard. And so we do the same for others. So let me ask you, how are you fostering both work and rest for the people that are in your sphere of influence? As Andy Crouch says, after all, if we are not helping to create and sustain systems that allow for Sabbath, our own rest will be nothing more than an expression of privilege and power. We foster rest as well as good work for others. Sabbath keeping is not meant to be selfish, so don't let it be. Work hard, rest well, foster rest and work. Just like God in creation, like the free people that you are in Christ Jesus. That's the to-do list of the fourth commandment. So lastly then, what is on Jesus's to-do list? Well, a few things. First, make all things new. How's that for something to have on your to-do list? Make all things new. That's what he says he's come to do. I think one of the things that keeps me from being discouraged about my own slow, slow progress in Christian maturity is exactly this. Jesus is making all things new. And if he's determined to make all of creation new, 
then he's more than capable of renewing my heart and your heart and my life and your life. He's more than capable of making me into someone who works hard, rests well, and begins to be able to foster work and rest for other people. Thank God, because I need to be made new. Second on Jesus's to-do list. Well, guess what? It has keep the Sabbath on it. He says that the Sabbath is a gift and not a burden. We weren't made in order that the Sabbath might be kept. He says the Sabbath was made in order for us to enter into it and into its gift of rest. I haven't come to abolish the law, but he says to fulfill it. And so he doesn't just pull tired, stuck work animals out of the ditch on the Sabbath. He does more. He heals people. He doesn't just rest. He actually restores life. And one of the ways that he does it, weird as it sounds, is by lying in the tomb on that long Sabbath Saturday in between Good Friday and Easter. You see, we rest trusting that God is alive and at work even while we take our Sabbath rest. Well, Jesus trusts that his Father is alive and at work. And so he trusts his Father even enough that he's willing to enter into death, lie in the tomb for a whole Sabbath, and leave his very life in his Father's hands. And then on the first day of the week, it's time to get back to work. And so he gets up, he comes out of the tomb with all of his father's energy, with his father's smile on him and his life, and he gets to work making all things new. Isn't that marvelous? Jesus keeps the Sabbath and fulfills it. And the final thing on Jesus' to-do list, as he comes from his father's heart in heaven to ours, is this. He invites us to collaborate now, as good Protestants, if that's what we are, we rightly emphasize the things that God has already done by himself in Christ and completely without us. Those are good things to emphasize. God made all things without us. Where were you when I made the world? God asks Job. Okay, good point, God. I wasn't there. You did it. Jesus alone lives a perfect life. He alone offers himself as the perfect sacrifice. He alone rises triumphantly in God's power. Jesus says as he takes his last breath on the cross, he says, it is finished. A perfect life lived, perfect sacrifice offered without me and without you having done a thing. See, just about the worst thing that we could do for our souls and for the world is to act like God just desperately needs us. But the only thing that we can do for our souls and for the world that's worse than that is to act like we have not been invited to collaborate with the one who makes all things and makes all things new. Paul rejoices in this in, I believe, 1 Corinthians. He says, we are co-workers with God in his service. See, God loves to work on a team, and not just in the team of Father, Son, and Spirit, but with women and men and boys and girls made in God's image. And he does this to bring all things under his loving rule. Friends, your father loves what he has made. And he especially loves his workmanship in you. And he wants to see your hard work and your good rest and your ability to foster good work and good rest like he does.
And he wants to do this with you, in and on a team with you and with his son and in the energy and power of his spirit. Find me a God in the ancient world or in the modern world that does anything like this, that's as wonderful and collaborative as this. There just isn't one. There just isn't one. So enter into God's finished work. Enter into God's ongoing work. Enter into his rest and spread the goodness of his work and his rest everywhere you go and do it in Jesus' name and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.